Koinonia, Christian fellowship, communion with God and with fellow Christians. Koinonia, an association of people who share common beliefs and activities. This is Koinonia. This is Community. And now, your host, Tom Brown. It's February, in case you're not aware, not keeping up. I'm excited about 2016, uh, having the opportunity to be through a lot of uh, ministries and churches and things that are going on in our community this year. You're going to be pretty excited as well. Uh, I'm just, it's going to be fabulous. Uh, We're going to have a great time. I hope that you have been in your prayer closet frequently and with fervor because that is the groundwork for all the things that God has for us. The general election, yes, everybody's all, uh, you know, talking all about the caucuses in Iowa. Some people that I talk to, they go, what is a caucus anyway? And I, you know, it's just complicated. There's a lot of moving parts, but you got to start in the prayer closet. You got to start in the war room. Uh, Mary and I, uh, that we're committed to each other in doing that. And that's what we do as intercessory prayers that we, we like to, you know, pray for you, pray for our country, pray for our community. And I encourage you to do so as well. And you also need to be registered to vote and you need to be informed and you need to cast your ballot. And I even have some of my friends uh, on Facebook say, gosh, you know, I don't even care about all that. I'm just about serving my neighbor. Why does that preclude you from participating in the process? It doesn't. You can do both. There's time. <laughs> you can do both. It's not that time consuming. Uh, and and even if you do think it's time, find somebody that you honestly and truly believe fully and completely in their judgment regarding political matters and just have a conversation with them. Do that or read their material. But please be registered. Be informed and cast your ballot. Several things coming up. Uh, As you know, our Pastors Appreciation Luncheon is next week. We are going to have a packed house. We're going to have Dr. David Jeremiah here. It's going to be fabulous. But did you know that Dr. Jeremiah and friends are going to be here on March 3rd with the stand-up tour? Guess who's leading worship? Charles Billingsley is leading worship And the special musical guest, Michael W. Smith. Yeah, and it's all free. Dr. David Jeremiah's teaching, Michael W. Smith in concert, Charles Billingsley leading worship. But you must register for these free tickets. You need to go online, davidjeremiah.org forward slash standup. That's davidjeremiah.org forward slash standup. Just click on the Phoenix button there underneath Michael W. Smith's photo. Get your tickets and join us. I've also been anticipating there's a new movie coming out uh, in, well, about 15, 16 days. And it, it, I know we've been disappointed. Noah, that was a huge disappointment. And I got sucked up into the hype and I, I led you astray and I apologize for that. The new one that's coming out that I hear great acclaim of is Risen from Affirm Films. Now, Affirm is a is the faith-based part of Sony. And I'm happy to say that you can join me for an early screening on February 6th, 16th at 7 p.m. 
Now, Risen, if you're not aware, follows the epic biblical story of the resurrection as told through the eyes of a non-believer. Yeah. Now, we've got a lot of room in our theater, but the tickets are scarce. You got to register and then you got to come early to make sure you get a seat. So here's here's the deal. Go online to faithtalk1360.com, click on station events on the events tab, get your free tickets now and join me on February 16th for this early screening of the upcoming movie Risen and then you can give me your feedback. You can tell me, Tom, this is one you should tell everybody about. All right? I'm going to hold reservation until we get together on the 16th. I'm excited to have Stan Reynolds back in studio today. We're going to continue the conversation from last month next on Koinonia. Yes, I'm sorry. I got on my soapbox. Anytime I start talking about Christians being registered to vote, I I just have to go there, and I did. But you know... You know where I stand on that, for sure. Stan Reynolds uh, was with us last month. We're going to make this a monthly thing, and I'm excited about that because, you know, as I've gotten older, I appreciate history. Now, when I was in junior high and high school, not so much. Uh, But now, and of course, as some people have uh, pointed out to me, uh, once they see the gray in my beard, Tom, it's not just history for you. It's actually, you know, happened in your lifetime. So, you know, that's not exactly a, a compliment, just letting you know for you youngsters out there that say those kind of things. But, uh, Stan, I, I just uh, I was fascinated. We talked about the archaeological uh, stuff last month. But as we wrapped it up, you know, you had a really good point, and we're going to delve further into that today. But kind of give us a summary and, and bring us up to speed. Well, when we were together last month, we focused on archaeological findings related to the life and times of King David from the finding of Gath, the city of Goliath, to even some inscriptions that appear to have Goliath's name on it, to the unearthing of what is potentially the palace of David in Jerusalem itself. And so we kind of focused our talk around how archaeological finds continue to show us the the amazing accuracy compared to any other book of ancient history of people, places, and things mentioned in the Bible. But we kind of finished up and said, well, so what? I mean, that's great. The guys who wrote that stuff down happened to name the city right, and we found the city under some dirt. And Hey, some of the Bible writing really is true. <laughs> but uh, you would expect, even if they were weaving uh, a fairy tale, you know, for instance, they, they made the fairy tale called the Titanic, mm-hmm. the movie, and uh, it had some basic facts in it that were correct. You know, right. there well, was a Titanic, it did go down, but there was not a Jack and Rose, okay? <laughs> and I mentioned Noah in the opening segment uh, the the it, yeah there was a bible character named noah and, that's and about there, all there was, was a flood <laughs> that's about all that was in that wow. movie correct yeah uh, so the point that uh, archaeology archaeology is confirming to a great degree the bible is is fun and exciting and all but but so what would say the skeptic and and that's true, but what we purport as Christ followers about the Bible is that God didn't leave us just to grope around out there, that he invaded history, that he's been active, that he's been involved, uh, he's not silent, and and one of the ways that we know that is the record from history from the Bible, and in particular, a characteristic of the Bible that is uh, so unique compared to most other religious works of the world, uh, that ability of telling or foretelling the future in advance, what we call prophecy, that 
that only the divine creator who dwells outside of space and time is not limited by linear time like we are would be able to tell the end of a thing from its beginning. And over and over again in the Old Testament, the prophets challenge uh, others from the outside, come, state your case, it says in Isaiah. Declare the end of a thing from the beginning, then I'll know Mm. whether or not you speak for God. And uh, biblical prophets have laid down at at one count up to 300 prophecies. Uh, Most all have come true already. Now they were talking about the future at the time they wrote it down, but it's now our past and we're able to confirm that. Archaeology helps us to place the dates correctly so that we can verify that, say, the prophet Daniel really did live prior to the events that he wrote down. Some of the complaints about the incredible accuracy of Daniel's prophecies, such as his predicting the split up of the Greek empire in, in I think it's Daniel chapter 8 or 9, was that maybe the book of Daniel wasn't written when we think it was, but Mm -hmm. was later during the Greek empire when it was written by someone else other than Daniel. But now we're able to place those things. Archaeology helps us do that so that we know the starting point of many of these prophecies and we can look, see that they're fulfilled. So telling the future in advance is a hallmark of the divine fingerprint Mm -hmm. on the book. And that is one of the things that we can take comfort in, right? I mean, we're putting... Well, we're putting all of eternity on our faith in what these words have told us. Right. It's, a, it's not a blind faith. It's a reasonable faith. There's reasonable facts out there that will take us a long way down that path. But at the end of that path, there is still a step of faith. You know, mm-hmm. No one gets out of this thing without that. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. And so no one... Uh, there was an old movie that says no one gets out of here without singing the blues, you know? <laughs> well, no one gets out of this life without yeah. exercising some kind of faith. But uh, reasonable evidence can take us a lot farther down that path than, than we once thought, perhaps. Yeah. yeah. The 70 weeks of Daniel. Yeah, you, I've got a graphic in front of it. For those, obviously, you can't see this. But this is just, this is, wow. Uh, I, mathematically, there's no way this happens by accident. Yeah, I thought that would be a great thing to to segue into is of of all these different prophecies in the Bible, the one that probably is the most dramatic for me is the last four verses of chapter 9 of Daniel. You know, we just had Christmas, and 2,000 years ago, wise men came into Jerusalem from the east saying, where is he? Where is he who is born king of the Jews? They didn't come in saying, oh, we saw a star. It must mean something's going on. You guys got anything going on around here that we should pay attention to? No, they, they came in very specifically saying, where is he? Where is he who is born king of the Jews? They were basing that off of uh, Daniel's book because Daniel had been exiled to Babylon a thousand miles to the east of Jerusalem. And these wise men were the descendants of folks that were impacted by Daniel. And they had Daniel's book there in Babylon. And Daniel's book gave the time when Messiah, the king, would be revealed in Jerusalem. It's a, it's a mathematical prophecy, which I like. And so we thought we'd spend a couple of minutes with it today just to kind of uh, acquaint people with it. Yeah, in the first, the first Daniel 9, verse 24, 70 sevens are decreed for your people and your holy city to finish transgression, to put an end to sin, to atone for wickedness, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up vision and prophecy, and to anoint the most holy place. Let's take it verse by verse. There's four verses, and the first verse sets the scope of the prophecy, the limits of it. It says the the prophecy says that 77s are determined upon your people, Daniel, and your holy city, 
Jerusalem. So this is specifically a prophecy for Israel and for the Jews. It is not a prophecy for the church today, nor for the non-Jewish races of the world. Its, it's, its scope is defined for us, that it's going to involve 70 sets of seven, or 77s, as you will. Some of your Bibles might say 70 weeks, and that's mm-hmm. simply because in, in biblical Hebrew, the word for week and the word for seven is exactly the same word. <laughs> Which makes sense, I guess, seven Absolutely. days in seven a week. Right, right? So 77s, uh, which if you multiply that out, that's 490-somethings, are decreed for you, Daniel, a Jew, your people, the Jews, and your holy city, Jerusalem. And when these 77s have been completed, then it gives a laundry list here in this verse of things that we'll know have been done at the end of the 77s. First of all, we will finish transgression. That means there'll no longer be any more transgressions or sins. And we'll make an end of sins right there in the next word. And we'll make reconciliation for iniquity or wrongdoing. We'll bring in everlasting righteousness. We'll seal up, complete, or finish vision and prophecy. No more need for visions and prophecies. When these 77s are done, it's all done. And we will anoint the most holy place. Mm. So it's telling us the scope, who it applies to, and what will be the conditions at the end of the 70th seven. Uh, no more sin. Right. That, so, that, and that's got to be an incredible, um, uh, an incredibly difficult thing to get their arms around, to understand at that time. Yes. What the, the end of sin. What are you talking about? That, how's that possible? Of course, if you've read your Bible a little bit and gotten to the last book, to the last chapter, and the last page of the last book of the Bible, Revelation, that's exactly what's happening in those last chapters is it's all being wrapped up. Sin is washed away with. The old heavens and the old earth are done away with. There's a new heaven and new earth. So this prophecy in Daniel is taking, starting from a particular point in time and taking us through history to the end. And more proof that the whole Bible is about Jesus. Correct. Old and new. Uh, the volume of the book is written of me, it says about him. Uh, the, he said to the Pharisees, you search the scriptures because in them you think you have eternal life. But I tell you, these are them that they that testify of me. Read that next verse then off. That's verse 25, verse 2 of the four-verse prophecy. And in verse 25, and I'm reading from the NIV, know and understand this. From the time the word goes out to restore and rebuild Jerusalem until the anointed one, the ruler, comes, there will be seven sevens and sixty-two sevens. It will be rebuilt with the streets and a trench, but in the times of trouble. So this verse is going to give us the starting point for the prophecy. It's a mathematical time clock prophecy. So this verse tells us where it's going to start. Know for certain, Daniel, so that you can know for certain when this starts— because if we want to know when the 77s are over, we've got to know when it starts. Right. When this starts is when a commandment is issued for the restoration, the rebuilding of Jerusalem with its defensive systems, the walls and the moats. When from the time an, a decree is issued, well, at the time Daniel is receiving this prophecy, Jerusalem's in other ruins from the Babylonians across yep. the way, a thousand miles back uh, to the east, uh, to the west in Jerusalem, it's in utter ruins. And uh, the rulers do not want to allow the walls and defensive systems of Jerusalem to be rebuilt. They are going to let some Jewish exiles go back. But uh, as they try to build some defensive systems, the neighboring nations will uh, appeal to the king and say, do you understand what they're trying to do? Just look at the history. This, this people in this city has a history of rebelling. They, if you let them rebuild, 
rebuild their defensive systems, it's not going to be good. And so they were stymied. And you'll read about that in the books of Ezra and Nehemiah. You can hear about that history that's going on there. So there were a number of decrees issued by the kings of Persia of that time, the Medo-Persian Empire, uh, Xerxes and Artaxerxes and Cyrus, uh, concerning Jerusalem, but only one dealt with a decree from Artaxerxes, and uh, Nehemiah was his cupbearer, and uh, only one allowed for the rebuilding of Jerusalem with its walls and moats, with its Mm. defensive systems. And we know from secular history when that decree was issued. And that decree was uh, issued on March 14th, 445 B.C. March 14th, 445 B.C., the decree is issued, and Daniel's prophecy says, no for certain, when that decree is issued... That's when this clock starts Starts ticking. And then there will be seven sevens and 62 sevens. Well, that's, if you add that up, that's 69 sevens. That's almost all of the 77s, but not all of them. (laughs) 69 sevens until Messiah the King, Messiah the Prince, uh, it's actually the Hebrew word there is Nagid, Messiah the Nagid, which means king, referring to King Saul, until he's revealed in Jerusalem, 69 sevens. Wow. We got two more verses to go. And we're going to wrap this up, the 70 weeks of day. This is exciting stuff. This is God uh, God revealing himself to man so that we can now know and look back and know all these things are true. All these things are true. Yes, there is hope for you. Yes, there is an eternal answer to this life. And that's what this is all really about, right? It's about a restoration of us with the Creator. And I am excited to learn more about it. And we're going to do that when Koinonia continues. This is Faith Talk 1360 KPXQ. Stan Reynolds is joining me again as we're going to do this uh, each month. Uh, First Tuesday, I think, is a pretty good uh, window. That way we can kind of plan for it because if I didn't plan for it last month, it had been on top of me because I didn't realize it had been four weeks already. But, Stan, uh, continuing on the conversation as we're talking about the 70 weeks of Daniel. So when we uh, finished up, we noted that the prophecy says that there's going to be 69 sevens until Messiah the King is revealed in Jerusalem. So... They're literally laying out for you, when will Jesus Christ come? If you want to know, all you got to do is mark off each day, scratch it on the calendar, and wait, and uh, you'll know. And then Herod, you know, got wind of that, and that's how he knew, roughly, when to do his shenanigans. So 69 sevens, if you multiply it out, is 483. Well, 483 years later, if we start from this decree issued in 445 B.C., 483 years later, brings you to about 38 A.D. 38 A.D. is pretty close. You know, how many other figures in history arrived in Jerusalem, proclaimed by their people to be king? Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the king. Uh, uh, other than Jesus, on or around about 38 A.D. It's close, but it's not good enough mm-hmm. because it was really 32 A.D. that yeah. Jesus Christ uh, had the triumphal entry that day uh, when, he, when they declared him to be the king. 
But it turns out that what helps you understand it is understand that at the time Daniel wrote this, all ancient calendars of the world worked off of 360-day years. Wow. The ancient Babylonians, the ancient Chinese, the ancient Egyptians, the ancient Hebrews, they all used 360-day years. In fact, the Babylonians with their 360-day year helped lead us to the idea of a circle having 360 degrees Three, in it, right. uh, an hour with 60 minutes, a minute with 60 say. Everything was based upon 60s. Yeah. And uh, in 701, one BC, the calendars were changed, moving away from a 12-month lunar cycle calendar of roughly 30 days each to a solar cycle as how many days it took us to go around the sun. And five days were added, and we went to 365 days. So if you realize that all prophetic all prophetic uh, utterances in the Old and New Testament, and even in the book of Revelation, work off of 360-day uh, years, then you find out that if you multiply this out, 480 through 69 sevens is 483 years times 360 days a year. That's 173,880 days. If you want to do that on your iPhone calculator, 173,880 days. So then if you simply count from March 14th, 445 BC, 173,880 days, just mark them off each day. You come to April 6th, 32 AD, one of two (laughs) dates that Christians are argue about as to when the triumphal entry occurred, one in 33 AD, this date in 32 AD. I think it's 32 AD because on April 6, 32 AD, the only time in Jesus's ministry that he allowed them to call him king was the day of the triumphal entry when he rode the donkey and they waved the palm fronds and they quoted Psalms, David's Psalm about the Messiah, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, blessed is the king. They came to him earlier when he like, you know, multiplied the fishes and said, oh, you ought to be our king. They wanted to forcibly make him king. Wouldn't it be great to throw off the Romans to have a guy that could like resurrect your dead soldiers and could multiply food in the field for your armies? He'd be a great king, but he wouldn't allow them to call him king then. Only on this one day, April 6, 32 AD, 173,880 days. And unless we maybe miss it, the, the Pharisees always help us out. They come up to Jesus on that triumphal entry day and they say, Jesus, good rabbi, good teacher, listen to what your followers are saying. They're quoting David's psalm, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, blessed is the king. That's all about the Messiah. They're calling you the Messiah. Rebuke your disciples, Jesus. And Jesus answers them in Luke chapter 19 and he says this phrase, I tell you, on this day, if these do not cry it out, God will make the very rocks themselves cry it out because, and I'm going to add the rest, it's not in the Bible, this is the 173,880th day of Daniel's prophecy, and it's going to happen today. It's not tomorrow. It's not yesterday. It's today. Yeah, that's cool. That is really cool. Verse 26. All right. After the 62 sevens, the anointed one will be put to death and will have nothing. The people of the ruler who will come will destroy the city and the sanctuary. The end will come like a flood. War will continue until the end, and desolations have been decreed. So now the prophecy says that after these, the 7 and the 62, after the total of the 69, then after this there's a break. There's some events that happen before we do the 70th 7, that unaccounted for one. And the first event, it says after this, the Messiah will be cut off. Hebrew, the word is karat, executed. After the triumphal entry, one week later, one week, you know, from the... From the, the That's a short race. Yes, from the <laughs> pinnacle to the pit. One week later, they're executing him. And not for himself, it says. He'll be cut off, but not for himself, for his people's sins. And then the people of the prince who will come will destroy the holy city, it says in this verse. Well, it's 38 years after he's crucified that the Romans come in in A.D. 70 and destroy the city 
Mm. And uh, mm. <laughs> Titus was the Roman general that led the uh, shutting down and the destruction of Jerusalem in AD 70. And his father was a guy by the name Vespasian. And on the eve of the final assault on Jerusalem, Vespasian ascended to the Roman emperor throne, making his son Titus a prince. So when Daniel says the prince of the people to come will destroy the city, it's pretty accurate about Jesus' prophecy back there in A.D. 32. He looked out over Jerusalem after walking in on the triumphal entry. He says, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets that I've sent to you, how often I would have gathered you together to me like a, a mother hen gathers her chicks, but you would have none of it. And I tell you, he goes on to prophesy about the great temple, there will not be one stone left standing upon another in that great and horrible day. Jesus himself was prophesying about an event that would take place 38 years in the future. Daniel had already laid it out that after the 69 sevens, then the city would be destroyed. And the clock for Israel stops, and the church age starts with the crucifixion of Jesus. And it's like in competitive chess, if you've ever played that, there's two clocks. You make your move, you slap your opponent's clock. He's got two minutes or three minutes to make his move, and when he makes his move, he quickly slaps the clock, and his clock stops, and your clock starts, and you've got to do your move. It's like that in prophecy. This is a Jewish prophecy, and the clock stops after the 69 sevens for the church age. Then there is a 70th seven. That's the last verse, and we don't need to get into that today necessarily, but the last verse says that then during the 70th seven, someone will make a covenant with the many, the the Jewish people, and will break it in the middle of the 70th seven. Well, a set of seven years that has yet to happen in Daniel's prophecy when the Jewish clock begins again, when the church is raptured and the church clock stops, the Jewish clock will begin again because we have one last set of seven, one seventieth seven to play out. And by the way, that's pretty much what most of the book of Revelation is all about, a seven-year period of time in which someone will make a covenant with Israel to protect them and then will betray the covenant midway through at the three-and-a-half-year mark. All right, Stan, we have five minutes left. Okay. Now, here's the thing. If I had my way, I would just take this five minutes to digest everything that you've just shared with us. But this is radio, and that wouldn't work very well (laughs) on the air. I don't think the listeners would be that excited, especially those just tuning in. Uh, Is five minutes enough to cover a little bit of this last uh, verse? Okay. But it's, uh, it's completely up to you. I am at your behest. Because I, this I am is on it. fascinating. I am all over it. Okay, so I'll read the last one. He will confirm a covenant with many for one seven. In the middle of the seven, he will put an end to sacrifice and offering, and the temple he will set up an abomination that causes desolation until the end that is decreed is poured out on him. That's a very awkward verse for someone to read and understand. You have to read through it a couple of times uh, because of how our language has changed over time. But it now begins to say that after this, after these events, after the Messiah is crucified, which is a week after the end of the 69 sevens, and after the destruction of Jerusalem by the prince who will come, and that's 38 years later, and then even after that, and and this uh, this little pause now is up to 2,000 years of the church age between when the clock for Israel prophetically stopped and when it starts up again. Uh, Between that, after that, then there will come one of a a descendant of that same people to come, the Roman Empire, some sort of outgrowth of the Roman Empire, uh, something in Europe perhaps, and the Turkey, the Middle East area would all fit those requirements. Someone will come who will make a covenant with the phrase there is the many. And the word the many is a phrase oftentimes throughout the Old Testament. It refers to the, the Jewish nation, the many. 
He'll make a covenant with the many. Uh, this is what Israel is asking for today. It's just someone out there recognize our borders. Someone say and have the authority to enforce our borders so that they won't come across and, and, and say that they have a right to bomb us or make us leave our land. And so Israel's crying out for someone who will, who will enforce a treaty uh, between their enemies and them and, and define good borders and, and allow them to have peace and safety. This is what Israel would like to have. And they've offered many times, you know, swap land for agreements, and they just can't seem to find it because any agreements that have been made get violated. But someone's coming who's going to have enough authority to be able to make a covenant with Israel and enforce it. But then it says after three and a half years, he will, halfway through the seven, he will betray that and uh, set up an abomination in the temple of Israel. That very temple that was destroyed by the Romans in AD 70, apparently it's going to be rebuilt. And uh, will we be here to see it or not as followers of Christ? Not quite sure, but uh, definitely in that 70th set of seven, that set of seven years for Israel that's coming, uh, it'll be an, an amazing time. And near the end of that, when Israel's got its back against the wall and facing perhaps total destruction, it says that the Lord of glory will appear, Jesus Christ, the second coming of Jesus Christ, to uh, execute judgment upon enemies. We're in a time of grace right now. It's great. A lot of stuff slips by. A lot of people get away seemingly with things in life. There isn't oftentimes the immediate judgment against evil that we would all like to see because we're in this time of grace. But either when we die, we face judgment, or at the end of this age, at the end of that 70th set of seven, all Sin and transgressions will be dealt with. And believe me, when Jesus Christ comes, he will deal with it. Mm -hmm. You want to meet him now during the age of grace. You really don't want to let your first introduction to him be on that day at the end of the 70th seven when we put an end to sin, transgression is done away with, all vision and prophecy is fulfilled and completed, and we bring in everlasting righteousness. And the reason I believe that he didn't reveal exactly when that is because he knows he created us, right? He knows our sin nature, and we just sat back and wait, right? Mm-hmm. Especially if it was close. Well, I'll just run up the credit card. I'm not going to have to you know, pay that eventually. Uh, but he calls us to spread the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ so that none may perish. That That's is right. his ultimate heart's desire Absolutely. as Father, as Creator, that none should perish. How do we accomplish that? Well, you tell somebody about Christ and what he's done for you. Because your testimony with him, irrefutable. Yeah, they can argue all kinds of things, but they cannot argue with what Christ has done for you. Don't be afraid. Be bold. Stan, this is awesome. I, I can't wait. I'm already marking my calendar for next month. You can check out a few things on Facebook. Look for uh, Reynolds Resources. Go to Facebook slash Reynolds Resources. We post a few things of this nature and update for those who are interested. Hey, like us there. Maybe other people will All right. be Stan, our friend. You bet. <laughs> Thank you. And uh, we're going to continue the conversation here on Koinonia. ADF is next. Hi, this All right, our weekly feature with Alliance Defending Freedom, Bob Trent, is in studio today, mm-hmm. and uh, I'm delighted. Now, you uh, l- real quickly, you have started 
at ADF a uh, program on Saturdays here on KPXQ. Tell me a little bit about that as we get underway here. That's right. The program is called Freedom Matters, and it airs Saturday mornings at 7 a.m. We are looking to go a little bit deeper into a few cases every week. We mm-hmm. have two attorneys on regularly, Carrie Kupek and Matt Bowman. Matt argues cases across the country, primarily in sanctity of life cases. Uh, we'll talk about one here today, in fact. Uh, this last week, we took a look at the five probably big cases that you should be aware of coming up on the Supreme Court docket this year, uh, most of which ADF, ADF is involved in. Jordan Lawrence was on the show last weekend. So we're really just trying to illustrate and illuminate uh, what's going on in the area of religious liberty or sanctity of life or marriage and family and how these larger issues that are being decided either at the Supreme Court level or state level can really impact your life here in Phoenix or in San Diego, wherever you might live. My interaction with ADF over the years, the number one thing that has given me so – well, the number two thing that's given me so much encouragement. Number one is that we have somebody showing up for the fights now in the courts. That's that's why ADF came to be X number of years ago. The second is the quality of young people. And and those two people, uh, two young people, I'm going to call Matt a young person. I mean, Mm -hmm. you know, compared to you and me, right? Very. that's exciting, isn't it? The the quality and the the dedication and the skill that they bring to the table. I'm just always uh, energized just listening to to them on your show. They are they're fascinating because they they come with a, already a passion for Christ and you know living for His glory, and then to have such exceptionally skilled people devote themselves. They I mean literally, uh, Carrie is. An attorney, she's a legal communications director. She could go to work for almost any policy organization she wanted to in D.C. And Matt has been litigating for Alliance Defending Freedom for a decade. And he he could he could go to work for almost any high-powered law firm, each making easily lots, 10 times lots more than money, what they're making right. in Alliance Defending Freedom. But what they know is that what they engage in on a daily basis affects the lives of believers across the country every single day. They protect uh, babies who weren't born. They they help uh, at least establish an atmosphere now is what our next step is, establish an atmosphere in which marriage can flourish in the United States again mm-hmm. so that it, become, it can become, again, the institution that it was, so that it can be revered and upheld in a way that it should be. I am astounded how, you know, the liberal left always likes to say uh, that we need to be more tolerant, that we're not tolerant, we're intolerant. And, and then they come out and say stuff like, well, pro-life centers have to promote abortion. <laughs> Well, what is up? It, well, in, in so many of these cases, it does seem that tolerance only runs one way yeah. uh, and is not extended to us. And the case that you're talking about now is in particular, I, I think, egregious in that. Last fall, the state of California lawmakers there put in place AB 775, and that basically necessitates that pregnancy care centers, these are small local clinics that, uh, you know, pregnancy care centers that are pro-life. They they bring mothers in uh, who quite often are just then finding out that they're pregnant, usually unplanned, and they give them all of the positive options that can come. They, they help them with any type of crisis counseling, you know, how to keep that baby and then how to give the best possible result for both the baby and the mother. Um, abortion never enters the picture because they don't believe abortion is ever an option, mm-hmm. um, like, you know, most believers would and do. What AB 7075 requires those centers to do is post in their lobby, in their waiting area, a big disclaimer saying that you can get a free abortion by calling this number. 
so it, it brings to mind that you know it's 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 scary when a government can step in and say you can't say certain things. It should be terrifying to everybody, no matter where you fall on the issue. When the government is coming in and saying you have to say things that directly conflict with your core beliefs, that you have to say things that you don't believe because the government wants you to. That that's unconstitutional and it is terrifying. And that's what's happening in California right now. And if I could point out, that many of these centers, probably most of these centers, don't get any government subsidy. Absolutely not. But the organizations that they're required to refer to do. Well, of course, abortion cannot be paid for by federal funds. However, Planned Parenthood, we know, receives $500 million a year in some form of government aid, whether it's state taxpayer money or federal taxpayer money, most of it through Medicaid. And so, yeah, they are receiving that. And that's always the argument. I'm sorry. if, If you're paying for my electric... Uh, you know, I can do other things for free. Exactly. But, it, you know, if I had to pay for my own electric and facility, then uh, I couldn't do these things, quote unquote, for free. That's right. And so and that's, uh, of course, one of the large reasons that we've been fighting for so long to get the government to redirect those funds away from an organization that continues uh, to be involved in all the scandals that we see in Planned Parenthood continue uh, to be involved in and switch those funds over to federally qualified health care centers and communities that don't necessarily have to be entirely pro-life, but they don't commit abortions. Mm-hmm. And uh, they provide far more services, are in far more places. In most cases, uh, those centers outnumber Planned Parenthood 20 to 1. Yeah, and I think what here in Arizona, there's four you know, Planned Parenthood uh, 162 others across the state, all across the state, mm-hmm. that actually do provide uh, life services. Uh, let's talk about, of course, this is an important issue. That means ADF uh, has their fingerprints all over. What are you doing? Uh, uh, what is ADF doing uh, in this particular case? Well, we just had a hearing last week. Matt Bowen flew out to San Diego from Washington, D.C. to argue Uh, for a preliminary injunction halting the enforcement of AB 775 on these organizations until the courts can look at the legality. Uh, Similar bills in other states have passed and been thrown out by higher courts, and that's what we're hoping to do. In the interim, we're asking the state of California, just put a hold on this Mm -hmm. until uh, a constitutional court can take a look at it. Now, is that uh, – don't want to get off in the weeds here, but does that ultimately end up through the Ninth Circuit, or is that a few steps away? Uh, uh, likely it would wind up there. Okay. Mm-hmm. Which is... Which means we need to start praying for it now. Yes. I, I'm just, uh, having seen this uh, for so for so many years, something happening in California, why am I here in Arizona even giving it airtime? Why does this matter to me? Well, you, you see these, you know, these, these trends. We... We need to fight the battle wherever it is. And, and we see these trends in the government stepping in in Washington state uh, in a different aspect. You have the government stepping in and telling a florist, uh, you, know, a, a, you know, creative artist in a sense, telling her that she has to use her God-given creative talent to help celebrate uh, something that goes directly against her beliefs. And that's the same-sex ceremony in Washington state. That's Baron Little Stutzman. And she opted out and was sued by the state as mm-hmm. a result, saying you have to comply. If you want to stay in business, you have to say about marriage what we think marriage is. Yeah. Uh, so the, these these cases pop up, and we need to meet them wherever they do. Let's uh, move it a little closer to home. Legislative session is in here in Arizona, a bill that uh, those of you that even pay a cursory glance to what's going on in the legislature and life issue, uh, 
Senator Nancy Bartow has introduced Senate Bill 1474. And uh, we're all on the life issue excited about this. Tell us a bit about it. Well, it means that the only time uh, a, a fetus can be used for any type of um, uh, you know, medical, I, I don't know if research is the right word for it, is in, if it directly involves the health of the mother or the embryo um, or for pathology. You know, so if there's some issue directly regarding the, either the, the baby inside the mother or the mother, scientists, doctors can take a look at that. What can happen is for that embryo then to be transferred, sold, donated in any way towards any other medical research. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and, that's, and that's heartening. Um, yeah, the, well, and Planned Parenthood should be excited about this bill because they don't participate. They've said over and over they don't. Uh, what they what they said is they don't sell. Mm-hmm. Um, now they've also said at times, like in the state of Wisconsin, I think we talked about this maybe last week. This, in the state of Wisconsin, they have just said that they don't even donate uh, uh, fetal remains for research. And we did a public records request and found out, in fact, in Wisconsin, that's exactly what they were doing. Yeah. Uh, as recently as 2010 and 2011, for studies that were put out this year. The crazy thing about all of this is that the fetal remains really are not a substantive part of any research. You know, if you look at, uh, you can search the National Institute of Health and find out what clinical studies are going on. Out of over 5,000, 21 even mention stem cell research. Most stem cell research we find today is, been, is being done on man-made cells. Uh, so it's not even necessary. Mm-hmm. The, you know, the, these are babies that we're talking about. They should right. be killed in the, first way, in, in the first place, but their remains should be dealt with humanely. And this really... I think sets up for that. Bob, I talk about on this program a lot that so many of our social ills come from a devaluing of life. And that's exactly what this is addressing, is the valuing of life. We These babies that haven't been born yet have value, and we want to establish that they have value and should be treated thusly. Absolutely. You know, there was a case in California recently as well where a mother was, a uh, surrogate mother, was asked to have a baby for a couple. It wound up that she had triplets and the couple only wanted twins. And so now they're in the courts arguing over whether the couple who bought the first two babies can mandate that the mother abort the third. Oh. Um, that You know, that is... The, the road that we're going down, we wow. begin placing a monetary, uh, you know, this type of value on human life that, well, I guess uh, monetizing human life is the best way to put it. That is incredible. And if we don't address these issues now, that's the kind of things that can happen. Yeah. We, we need to show up. We need to, you know, yeah, that's the key. Uh, you know, show up and have our voice heard. Yeah. And that's what ADF is for. And that's why I'm always encouraging uh, my listeners when we have events, when we talk about issues, if it's sending a letter to your legislator, do so. If you, it's showing up for a march or a rally, do so. It makes a difference. It is important. We've got just a couple of minutes left here, Bob. Uh, tell people other ways the listener can get involved with ADF because ADF provides these services to churches and organizations all over the country and even around the world now for free. That's right. You know, if if you're just going about your daily life and feel as if your constitutional rights, particularly First Amendment freedoms, right to believe or you know speak how you want, uh, believe and pray how you want, are being infringed, you can give us a call. All of our services are pro bono. Um, you can go to adflegal.org. 
um, and find phone numbers, contact information, and how to get a hold of us. We've got great information uh, for churches, for creative professionals, for sidewalk advocates to help them determine that, yes, when they're out engaging in what they want to do, they're doing so legally in a way that they can really step out on their faith and know that they're protected and in, in acting within the law, but acting out on faith. And for those pastors that are listening today, they have some incredible resources specifically for you and uh, how to address legal issues that come up in your church. Uh, Bob, thanks again. Thanks for having me. Next week it is. You're listening to Koinonia. This is Faith Talk 1360 KPXQ. Two days into the new month, I'm excited. 2016 is going to be a brilliant year here in the state of Arizona, specifically in Phoenix, I believe, or the Phoenix metro area. And any feedback that you have for Koinonia, I'd love to hear from you. Tom at FaithTalk1360.com. That's Tom at FaithTalk1360.com. Any and all, even if you don't like it at all, please let me know. And maybe there's something I can do. Maybe I can make it better. But uh, excited by the guests that uh, God is bringing to the microphone here. Aren't you? It's pretty good stuff. Let's close with prayer, shall we? Dear Heavenly Father, I am (laughs) once again amazed that you would have any desire to have any relationship with me at all. But Lord, I am so grateful that you reveal yourself more and more to me, that you allow me to know you more and to fully understand just how much you love and care for me. (laughs) Even when I just don't even get anywhere close to getting it right. Lord, I pray that you'll allow me to spread your love to those that I come in contact with. And Lord, I Thank you for my wife, Mary. Bless her. Give her an awesome day. Show her just how much you love and care for her. Allow her to be a light to shine those to Jesus Christ. Lord, we lift up our government leaders. Lord, that you will put godly counselors in their midst so that they can see truth as you've created it not as man has caused it to go awry. Lord, you know the end from the beginning. And we just ask for your wisdom and your guidance in all things. In thy name I pray, Jesus Christ. Amen.